thank you, Andy. Thanks very much indeed. And uh, it's amazing to be, be welcomed uh, uh, back here again. I preached here before a few years ago. But amazing to be welcomed by Andy, who's leading the service today. So I was curate at Holy Trinity Hazemere, the Anglican church, um, up the hill from 96 to 99. So that's a long way away. And I got to know Andy then. And I was 27 then. And Andy was 15 then. And Andy was friends with, uh, there was a, a, a guy, same age, who was part of um, Holy Trinity Hazemere called Ziggy. And he was friends with Ziggy then. And, uh, hi Anna. And uh, remember, uh, one story that sticks in my mind was when I, f- I was fairly new and I just arrived... Uh, as curate at Holy Trinity Hazemere, there was a knock on the door, and it was Ziggy and Andy, so both 15-year-old lads at the time, Ziggy and Andy Lamb. And uh, they were really into rollerblading at the time. That was the big, the big thing. And it turns out they, they came around to see me because they just upgraded their roller boots to a brand-new pair. And so I said, come in. You know, they came into my curate's house up in Hazemere. And uh, then one of them said, I can't remember which one, said, oh, we want you to have these. And they presented one of their old pairs of rollerblades to the new curate. That's nice, isn't it? Touching gift. So uh, then one of them said, maybe it was Andy, right, put them on, we're going blading now. So uh, I thought, well, churlish to refuse. So I put on these rollerblades, these roller boots, and um, off, off we went, rollerblading in the Manor Farm estate. Ziggy and Andy were, were going down the middle of the road, um, going, going ahead, leaving me behind. I remember sort of getting used to it, hobbling down the road, uh, the middle of the road, when there was this voice behind me that said, Oi, you three boys, get off the road. And uh, I turned around, and it was a uniformed police officer. Obviously not too pleased that we were rollerblading down the middle of the road. That was the issue, I think. Anyway, he made his way to where we were, and he raised his hand about to tell us off when one of them, I can't remember which one, gave a dressing down to the police officer, and he said, Oi, you can't speak to him like that, pointing to me. He's a vicar. <laughs> and um, the vicar, I wasn't in a clerical collar, obviously, but the, um, the uh, police officer didn't quite know. He did, to be honest, he just didn't know what to believe. And uh, so basically, I looked at the police officer, and I said, uh, Well, officer, just visiting the parish... And uh, that, was th- that was the end of the episode. He, he, clearly, he clearly didn't know what to, what to believe on that occasion. So, uh, um, now you might think that's just a complete tenuous link. That has nothing to do with our series, uh, The Creed, I Believe. And it does, and the, the, the link, uh, you know, is this. That, you know, the, the police officer didn't know what to believe. And that's the state of the church today with many people. There are many people, even though they say they're Christians, they're not sure... Um, what they believe. They're not sure what they, what they think. I think that's partly because of the inroads that secularism has made in society. And as society has moved away from its Judeo-Christian moorings, so too there's been a challenge for the church. Do we really, do we really believe? Do we, do we still really believe the faith once delivered to the saints? Or are we at liberty to, to, to change it, to adapt it, uh, to dilute some of the strong truths that perhaps um, are countercultural. Well, this is one of the reasons that the creeds are really useful for us because they are this articulation of the faith once delivered to the saints. They're an articulation of historic, orthodox, apostolic Christianity. And they're significant because what we believe will affect how we behave. And how we behave will shape the people that we become. Another way of putting that theologically is that orthodoxy um, is connected to orthopraxis. So orthodoxy, right belief, is connected to orthopraxis. How we behave, yes in terms of ethics, right and wrong, but also in terms of how we, uh, how we 
how the church expresses itself pastorally. So it has, it has implications. Another reason that the creeds are significant, I think, is because they remind us that Christianity is not all about me, it's all about God. We live in an age, don't we, where Christianity really can be quite me-centred. Um, we can be forgiven sometimes watching some Christian TV channels for thinking, it's all about me. Whereas the creeds, line by line, talk about the person of God, the character of God, the centrality of God himself and his son, Jesus Christ. I was up in, I've been on the faculty at Wycliffe Hall, Oxford for 18 months now. Before that, I was a vicar up in York. And when I was up in York, not our church, our church, St. Michael of Belfry, it was, it was a different church called Acom, where my friend Ned was the curate. A church there made the BBC news. I think it was around Easter time when they were looking for a story. And this appeared in the news. Misspelled Acom sign proclaims Chris is risen. So whether you can see that. So, so it was my friend Ned, he was the curate of this church. And they did a banner. If we can flick on the next one, you can see it clear. And it was supposed to say Christ is risen, but it actually said Chris is risen. So uh, this, this made the news, obviously. They didn't put it up for obvious reasons. Well, I'm sorry if, you're, if there's any Chris's in the room this morning. Uh, I'm sorry if you call Chris. But it's not all about you. Um, and it's not all about me. It's not whether you're Tom, Dick, Harry, whatever your name. It's not all about you. It's about Jesus Christ, Son of God. Uh, who was crucified for our sins, rose again, according to the scriptures, as, uh, uh, and is alive forevermore, and intercedes now at the right hand of God, the Father. It's, it's about him. Creed is from the Latin word, of course, credo, which literally means I believe. And that's a recurrent theme in the creed. I believe, I believe, I believe. And again, another reason creeds are powerful is because they're a form of declaration. And declaration... Um, has the power of fixing in our mind, inculcating in our mind, the truth that we ourselves have embraced as Christians. It declares to anyone who's on the fringes of the community, and uh, there may well be people here who, you you, you might be here this morning, you're not yet a a Christian, you've been journeying with the community uh, for a little while. It declares to people on the fringes of the community who are not yet Christians what we believe. Furthermore, I I would say it declares to the principalities and powers of this dark age what we believe, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now I can, recite to the, I can recite the Apostles' Creed. I can actually recite it in the King James Version. Um, not the, actually the 1662 version of the prayer book. That's because I grew up in Lancaster, in the northwest of England, in a kind of fairly liberal high church. And that church didn't lead me, to, lead me to Christ. I became a Christian on a summer camp when I heard the gospel and gave my life to Christ uh, when I was at the age of 11. Then uh, at the age of 17, a, f- a friend Took, took me to a Pentecostal church, an AOG church in the Lake District, and I had a, like a baptism of the Spirit experience and spoke in tongues. So two, two big key events for me, conversion and being filled with the Spirit, happened outside of my home church, but never mind, that's another story. But um, my home church, it was very, very liturgical, so I was a, a chorister there, I became head chorister there, and used to sing matins, 1662, morning prayer, each Sunday morning, and recite the Apostles' Creed in this old 1662 language I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ his only son our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost born of the Virgin Mary when we got to that bit there I thought you know because I was an 11 year old boy or 10 10 when I was 10 when I first um, joined the choir um, I thought you know that bit there where it says conceived by the Holy Ghost I thought that's a bit spooky didn't quite understand you know ghosts you know I thought ghosts were kind of uh, spooky spooky things 
interestingly that Andy should mention about the Catholic thing because when it got that to that bit where it said I believe in the Holy Catholic Church I used to think hey hang on a minute aren't we Protestants I did used to think that so that confused me as well the other thing that confused me when it said that Jesus uh, will come again from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead and I thought to myself what about the slow you know he's obviously going to judge the quick now I was quite slow at games at school so I thought well maybe that's a good thing if he's not going to judge the slow but uh, anyway the other thing that used to confuse me this is a slight red herring was there used to be a collect uh, called the collect for peace in Matins BCP morning prayer and it's a beautiful prayer and it used to go like this oh God who art the author of peace and lover of concord and then it goes on and uh, yes, yeah, some of you are, are laughing. You know, we got that bit. The love of God, God, you are the lover of Concord. I thought supersonic jet. You know, so I used to think, you know, God is obviously likes airplanes. I'm not not quite worked out. So it's, maybe it's good to have it in a translation that we uh, that we can understand. But the point is, the creed is a declaration of what we believe. I believe, and we're thinking particularly today, the tenets that we've that, that we're thinking about today in the teaching series is um, I believe. Um, uh, that on the third day he rose again from the dead it's the resurrection he ascended into heaven and, is, and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty um, that's the doctrine of the ascension what we call the ascension so we've affirmed today in the creed there's so much in there each line is pregnant with, with masses of theological truth you could, there, there have been whole books and volumes written about each of these these lines but those are the doctrines that we've affirmed today the resurrection I believe in the resurrection and I believe in the ascension that's essentially what we've what we've said here's another news article just from a year or two back uh, from BBC News that said Christians um, sorry the resurrection didn't happen did not happen say a quarter of Christians so this was to do with a survey that BBC did um, which where they asked people about the Bible story of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And there were three things. If we can flick on the next slide. The red is to do with the general public, so that we wouldn't expect them to believe the resurrection, would we? The orange is people who say they are Christians, but who are not part of a church. But the, the most worrying thing, to my mind, is the, the uh, aqua, the, the turquoise, which are people who are not just say they're Christians, but they're part of a church, which these days is a, a small percentage of people in the United Kingdom, isn't it? So if you look at that one there... Um, you've got, um, do not believe the resurrection. In the, in the turquoise, um, there's about 6%. So 6% of churchgoers do not believe the resurrection at all. But the one above it says, believe, but not as in the Bible. Um, now, what, what, they, what I think they mean by that is people who say, yeah, we believe the resurrection, but maybe in a spiritual way, not a physical way. So back to my liberal high church that I grew up in, there was a curate who was part of that church who said, oh yeah, he said he believed the resurrection, but spiritually, he didn't believe that Jesus rose physically uh, from the dead and he thought that was that was that was that was good enough so it kind of it kind of means that believe but not as in the bible maybe believing in a spiritual resurrection like this ordained minister in the, in, in the church well look at the turquoise there it's um it's basically like 38 percent maybe a, a third of church going people yeah they say they believe the resurrection but not as um in the bible here's a quote from W.J. Sparrow Simpson, this guy was an the- Anglican vicar, theologian, and a hymn writer. He wrote a book on the resurrection. He said if this, if the resurrection is not historic fact, then the power of death remains unbroken. And with it, the effect of sin and the significance of Christ's death remains uncertified. And accordingly, believers are yet in their sins, precisely where they were before they heard the name of Jesus.
Sparrow Simpson says it absolutely right, just as Paul was to write uh, elsewhere in the New Testament. If Christ did not rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. The fact is, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, flesh and blood, physically. Death no more had dominion over him. And he's alive forevermore. He declares, of course, through um, uh, the book of Revelation, I am he um, that is risen. Uh, I'm risen, but I was dead, and now I am alive forevermore. Christ is the victorious one, the one who's conquered death um, for each person who dares to believe in his name. So actually, we might wonder to ourselves, you know, why is the church powerless? Do you ever think that? I do. Occasionally, I think, you know, why is it the church seems powerless? It seems a bit impotent. It doesn't seem to be cutting the ice in our, in our generation, in our society in which we live. Uh, well, there's the answer. If you wonder why that, there's the answer in that slide, right, right there in that, in that slide. If we as Christians don't believe biblical apostolic Christianity, no wonder there's powerless, powerlessness in the church if we don't believe um, according to the scriptures. And that's what the creed reminds us. It says, I believe that he, uh, he rose again according to the scriptures. Not according to my own postmodern spin on it that actually might have a cultural resonance. No, no, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And that's true of all the great doctrines that the Bible uh, suggests. We were a people of the scriptures and, and God has spoken in his word. A few weeks ago, I was leading a trip to Israel. It's the sixth time I've been. I've notched up. It's great. Over the years, I think I've been there three and a half months altogether. And every time that I've been to Israel, I visited uh, this place. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And it's pretty, it's pretty churchy and it's hard to imagine, but almost certainly this, this church was built over the hill of Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, and the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, where his corpse was laid before God raised him to life on the third day. In fact, uh, if we flick on the next slide, this, this is um, the, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. So it's hard, hard to imagine it now because it's encased uh, with uh, loads of layerings and it's all very... Uh, churchy and, and so on but almost certainly this is this is the site where Jesus died and uh, and rose again 2,000 years ago and what we're going to do now is consider each of these doctrines that the creed mentions the resurrection and the ascension I'm going to briefly mention it in narrative form and then I'm going to pick um, a verse from scripture which tells us why those doctrines are significant okay so first of all then um, I'm going to mention. I'm going to mention it in narrative form, in story form. So the resurrection of Jesus. Let me read it to us. Matthew 28 verses 1 to 6. So after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know um, that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. So we're going to consider um, at each point um, this question. Um, Jesus rose, so what? Um, What impact should the resurrection of Jesus have on us? And the verse that I've picked for this first one is is 1 Peter 1.9, where 
the Apostle Peter says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Jesus rose from the dead. So what? What, what, what is the impact? Now, there could be a sermon that talks about um, 10 different reasons why the resurrection is significant. We haven't time for that. So I'm, I'm allowing this one verse, 1 Peter 1, 9, to restrict me just to two reasons. And the first of the two reasons is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ made possible the new birth. Theologically speaking, um, the, the death of Christ is redemptive, but the resurrection of Jesus is regenerative. That is to say, the death of Jesus Christ buys us back from the power and the penalty of sin. It redeems us. But the resurrection of Christ is regenerative. God, God the Father breathed new life into the dead corpse of Jesus Christ, 2000, uh, just over 2,000 years ago. And that corpse came to life. Jesus uh, rose from the tomb three days later. And in the same way, that same life-giving power infuses each human being who dares to call on the name of Jesus, who dares to say, I'm wrong, you're right, I repent of my sins, you are the Son of God, and I'm going to follow you uh, through life and into eternity. John 3, 5, familiar passage where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, where he says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. The flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus speaking about the new birth. Do you know, just as I was preparing to speak here at King's this morning... Um, I was in contact with a woman called uh, Rachel, Rachel Wildsmith, who was helping with the, the PA system up at Hazelmere, the Hazelmere site. And I put on my Facebook that I was preaching at King's, King's Church this morning, and Rachel left me a message that said this. She said, hi Greg, I'm not sure if you'd remember me, but I gave my life to Christ after a sermon you gave at St. Aldate's at, a, at an event where we watched The Lion King in 2006. I think it was part of the OIQ mission that year, that was the Oxford university um, Christian mission and and I replied I said wow I love hearing about people that I've had the privilege of leading to Christ it's wonderful that you're part of the King's Church look forward uh, to being in ministry together later and sure enough I I met Rachel and she was part of the team um, up at Hazelmere so it's amazing sometimes hearing about people who've come to faith uh, years ago and they're still following the Lord and they're, they're part of an amazing church like the King's Church but Rachel didn't become a Christian all those years ago because of an eloquent sermon that I may or may not have preached. She came to to faith in Christ. She was born again because of Christ. And because of Christ's resurrection, that made it possible. Jesus rising from the dead made it possible for her to be born from above, um, to be born again. Just as it did you or me and any of us in this room who've given our lives to him, we've given our lives to Christ. The resurrection makes possible the new birth. But the second thing is this, the resurrection... Has made, possible, um, has made it possible for us to be a people of hope. Notice it, uh, the verse says this, that he, that is Jesus, has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the resurrection makes it possible for us to be born again. God becomes our father. But the church becomes our new community. And the church is called to be a community of hope. Paul elsewhere was to write to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 27. He says to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are called to be people of hope. I love this quotation from Bill Johnson, who's the pastor um, of... Bethel Church in Redding, California. He says this, hope is the joyful anticipation of good. You know, sometimes we can define hope like the world does, almost like a bit of conjecture. You know, I hope, you know, uh, Liverpool's going to win the cup or whatever it, might, whatever it might be. It could be something not anchored um, in objective reality. But, you know, for a Christian, we, we can be confident in saying there is always hope because true biblical hope is grounded Um, in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross Christ has called us to be a people of hope a quotation from um, lesser known theologian John Lennon Uh, I don't know whether you've come across this one I don't agree with everything John Lennon said but this, this one he's right on the money particularly if we interpret it through a Christian prism he says everything will be okay in the end and if it's not okay it's not the end Do you know that's true for you, brother, or you, sister, this morning? If you're struggling with despair this morning, all of us do. This message of hope is really a word in season for all of us. Globally, there's despair all around. The spectre of terrorism and global jihadism. Nationally, um, in terms of our our politics, as we have this interregnum now between leader of the Conservative Party, where there's no one who's the leader of the Conservative Party, but we've got a Prime Minister who's on her way out. You know, when it comes to Brexit, there are people in the room today who obviously would be both sides of the debate. There'd be Christian brothers and sisters who would see things differently on that particular issue. I can almost guarantee it. And, but, but there's a, a feeling of despair, even hopelessness, sometimes around. And what about personally, when we struggle with things? We struggle with illness or redundancy or our finances uh, not seeming enough for, for what we need to, to make it through. We can sometimes give in to the narrative of hopelessness. Well, we're called to be a people of hope because hope ultimately is based upon the person of God and what he has done in Jesus Christ. God cannot lie and he, prom- he promises us that that which he has begun, he will complete. And uh, the, uh, the, the, the ascension of Jesus also speaks to us of his glorious second coming to wrap up human history. So let's move on then to that second doctrine that we've affirmed this morning in the Apostles' Creed, the Ascension. Here's a different photograph, a different building from Israel that I, that I took a few weeks ago. This is the Paternoster Church, which is on the Mount of Olives. This was built about AD 300 by Constantine. And this is the site on or near here, probably not specifically here, but on or near here, because near here, it's the Mount of Olives, was the site that commemorates anyway the Ascension of Jesus Christ, the Ascension of the risen Lord Jesus to the Father's side in heaven. So let's uh, consider the story then, as I, as I did before. Let me just read a little bit from the New Testament in narrative form. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11 says this. And then they gathered around him 
they being the disciples, him being Jesus. And they asked him, Lord, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this to them, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. It's the ascension. And as they were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Again, another angelic appearance. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back. Second coming of Jesus already alluded to. In the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Well, just like before, I picked a verse that that draws out just two things as to why the resurrection is important. So that's the question. Jesus ascended. So what? What impact should the ascension of Jesus have upon us? And the verse that I've picked for this is a quotation from Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, which is recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 32 to 33. And when I was preparing this before, I could think of five things, five reasons why the ascension is important for us, why it's significant. As I say, time allows, doesn't, doesn't allow for that. So I'm constrained for two and, the two. and this verse constrains me because this verse, just like the other verse that I quoted, mentions two things to do with the ascension. So Peter said in his, his sermon on the day of Pentecost, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So two things the verse mentions here. The exaltation of Christ, which is a biblical term for Christ um, ascending to the Father and taking his rightful place um, at the Father's side. And also the Spirit, the, the sending of the Holy Spirit upon all God's people. So two things then, two reasons why this is relevant for us. The first is this, the ascension of Jesus underscores the sovereignty of God, that God is in control and that Jesus is king. It establishes Jesus as the reigning king over all powers and all ages. Ephesians 1 verses 20 to 21 says God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but in the one to come. Jesus's heavenly kingly identity for the most part was veiled during his earthly life, during his incarnate life. Um, Not entirely, the transfiguration was a glimpse, of course, of Jesus' true heavenly kingship that the disciples saw. But the ascension tells us that, that Jesus returns, having completed his mission, Jesus returns to the Father in heaven. 
The phrase for that, biblical phrase for that, is exaltation. Christ is exalted. He returns to the Father. He ascends on high and um, uh, to his rightful place as the Son of God at the Father's right hand. It speaks to us of the sovereignty of God. God is king, but Christ is king also. That's his very title, Christ uh, is a Greek word, Christos, which means king. So when we say Jesus Christ, we say Jesus the king. This is glorious truth that we should drink deep of. No matter what it seems um, is happening in our world, it seems sometimes that the world's falling apart and going off the edge. The truth is, God has not abdicated his throne. God is still sovereign. Um, even if there's circumstances in our life that, that are difficult and don't reflect, God is still sovereign. God is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God's king. The ascension speaks to us of the sovereignty of God in Christ. Secondly, the ascension makes possible the gift of the Spirit for all believers. So theologically, the ascension is a pneumatological doctrine. That is to say, it concerns itself with the Holy Spirit. And we see that in this verse, after the exaltation of Christ is mentioned. Um, No sooner has Peter said that, Christ will be exalted to the right hand of God. And then he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And he's poured out what you now see and hear. This is the fulfilment of the prophecy of John the Baptist. We don't think of the Baptist being a prophet, but the Baptist who, when he saw Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, I'm not fit to unfasten his very sandals. I'm baptizing just with water in the Jordan, but he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That prophecy of the Baptist has come true on the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaches into it uh, now. Jesus received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear as the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Jewish people of the diaspora on the day of Pentecost. So the ascension makes possible the the gift of the Spirit to all believers. Jesus Christ was full of the Spirit of God in his incarnate self, but Jesus in his incarnate self could only be in one place and at one time. So how is Jesus leaving his disciples an advantage to them? Because this is what he says. It's for your good, he says. It's to your advantage. How is it to their advantage? Well, quite simply, um, Jesus couldn't be with all of his followers at once. If he'd stayed on earth, he couldn't have been with Peter in Rome at the same time as being with John on the island of Patmos. But the Holy Spirit can. His empowering presence is available to all Jesus' followers everywhere and at all time. Not just with Peter in Rome and John on the island of Patmos, but with us now in the King Centre in High Wycombe in 2019. The Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. So these different doctrines that we've been thinking about this morning, the resurrection and the ascension. The resurrection makes possible the new birth and it makes possible for us to be a people of hope. The ascension underscores the sovereignty of God in Christ and also the ascension make, uh, makes it possible for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be poured out on all God's people. These four amazing truths, they're not just abstract theological truths, they're theology that can and should be applied to our daily lives. As I was thinking about those four truths in particular, I thought in my own mind for a story that might illustrate these different points. And I was reminded of an episode that happened to me a few years ago, five years ago, when I was with uh, Tammy, um, um, my wife and my two young children in America, we'd been on sabbatical in the States for a number of months. And as part of that, we'd gone down to uh, Los Angeles. 
in the south of California. We were up in northern California. And we were, were headed to our hotel. And uh, Tammy, and uh, she, she was, um, she'd taken a break from her job. She's a, a, a doctor. Uh, she'd taken a break from her job. I'd taken a break from my job. We'd gone off for these four months to the States. Um, Anastasia, um, our eldest, was um, about three. She, I think she was three then. And Trinity was not yet one. Trinity was not yet one. So we headed off to our hotel in LA. We were, we were going to get a boat out of LA the, the next morning. And I changed the sat-nav. We had the sat-nav in the hire car. And I changed it to Azusa Street. And Tammy says, you know, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Because obviously she just wanted to get to the hotel, get an early night, as you would, you know. And, uh, but I know, I, I changed it to Azusa Street. I said, like, well, let's just go to Azusa Street for a few moments. Now, you might recognise immediately why I did that if you were a student of revival history, because in Azusa Street, just nearly 100 years ago, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit called the Azusa Street um, Revival. And the Azusa Street Revival was led by a godly African-American pastor, the Reverend William J. Seymour, who led what was now known as the Azusa Street Revival from 1906 through to 1915. The Holy Spirit was poured out, uh, people spoke in tongues, there was healings. And these things were 100 years ago really unusual. Um, um, I'm not saying they didn't happen at all, but they were, they were all but extinct in huge sections of the body of Christ. And uh, so uh, uh, really this revival... You know, we as, as charismatic Christians stand in the tradition of this revival. The Assemblies of God, the worldwide AOG, um, sees its inception um, through this revival. So anyway, I'd never been to Azusa Street. I wanted to go to see, see it. So we got, we got to Azusa, Azusa Street. It turns out Azusa Street is a cul-de-sac. So I parked, parked the hire car at the top of the cul-de-sac. And, um, and there, to the, to, the, to the top of the road, there was a flower bed and there was a car park to the right. And I said to Tammy, she was in the passenger seat, I said, just wait here a minute, I'm just going for a little walk. Now she said, where are you, where are you going? Because obviously, it's downtown LA, it was gone dark by now, you know, it didn't feel entirely secure with these two kids in the car. And I said, I'll just go for a little prayer walk, I'll be just back in a minute. I just wanted to walk, it's the length of Azusa Street and back. So she put the locks on, you can imagine, you know, she, she put the, the locks on. I walked down Azusa Street and I, I, pray, I remember I prayed this, I said, Lord, do it again. That was my prayer, very simple prayer. I said, Lord, do it again. And I said, we need another Pentecost Quoting the great William Booth, he wrote, founder of the Salvation Army, wrote, wrote a song, uh, um, Send the Fire, you know, uh, uh, Send the Fire Today, we, you know, we need another Pentecost. So I used those words. I was only a minute or two, so I, then I came back to the top of the road, top of Azusa Street. There was uh, Tammy in the parked car, and out, out of the blue, this young, young man appeared. It turns out his name was Mike. If we can flick on that next slide, this guy there, this, this guy appeared from nowhere. Mike, it turns out his name was, and Mike. Um, asked me for, for some money. So I said a quick arrow prayer, because I thought, you know, I might get mugged or something like that. But, so I said a quick arrow prayer. It seemed the right thing to do. So I gave him some dollars, and I talked to Mike. And we ended up talking. I asked him about God and stuff. And it turns out Mike, Mike said he believed in God, but he never, he'd never given his life to Christ. So he a theist. He believed in God, but he'd never given his life to Christ. So I ended up sharing the gospel with him, and as best I could in those few moments as we stood there at the top of Azusa Street. And then I said, look, do you want to, give you, do you want to pray to, do you want me to, to pray to give your life to Christ? And Mike said he did. So we prayed, Mike prayed a simple prayer, turning from, from his sins, turning to Christ. And then um, I did what I nearly always do. I basically said, look, can I just put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you to be filled with the Spirit? And he said, yes. So I put a hand on Mike's right shoulder uh, and, and I just prayed, Lord, fill him, fill him with your fill him with your Holy Spirit. Now at that point, Mike's eyes began to flicker up and down and he began to shake 
and, uh, and then he began to fall down. Now, this was not, there wasn't a carpet like in the King Centre here. We were on this road. So I, uh, I, grabbed, I grabbed him as he fell and lowered him down onto the, onto the road. And he was there, kind of lying supine and sort of sh- shaking on the road at the top of Azusa Street in the middle of the road. At this point, I remember I glanced back to Tammy and she gave me one of those looks as if to say, what are you doing? What on earth are you doing? And, uh, but anyway, so I, I carried on praying for him. At this point, a police officer came, a uniformed police officer came, came out and he said, uh, what is, what's going on here? It looked like a guy died or something. And, and I, said, I said, officer, I said, I'm, a, I'm a pastor from England. I said, I've just prayed for this man and he's just been touched by the Holy Spirit. And uh, the police officer said, well, Reverend, you just carry straight on ahead and walked off, which is amazing. Anyone from, any, from, from the United States in the house this morning? Anyone from America? No? Well, God bless America. That's all I say. Because uh, if that happened in London, I'd have been banged up in Brixton Nick, I think. So uh, anyway, a few minutes later, Mike, Mike uh, however long, Mike gets up and he says to me, he said, oh, he said, when you prayed, he said, I, I felt like there were hundreds of hands. I saw hundreds of little hands all laid on me. I have no idea what that was, whether that was angels or not. I don't know, don't know what that was. And then he said, it was like a weight lifted from me. I've heard that so many times someone becomes a Christian. Almost a fulfillment of Jesus saying, come to me, all who carry heavy loads, I will give you rest. So he said he felt this tremendous peace, this tremendous lightness as he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I talked with him a little bit further and then I went back to the van and we, we finally got to our hotel. But as we were driving back to our hotel, um, a few minutes later, a thought popped into my head, which was this. It was, I thought, gosh, I'm sure I've dreamt that, that the episode that's just happened in reality. I'm sure I dreamt it years ago. And it turns out that I, I basically, I had, I had um, dreamt it years ago, 20, 20 years before. And I, remember, I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure, I, I'm sure I, I wrote it in a diary, because years ago I used to keep a diary, and I'd written it down. Um, it turned out 19 years previous. And I don't think I'd read that diary entry from the 19 years that I'd written it, and then forgotten about it 19 years later. So much so, I didn't know where the diary was. So I got back to England, Searched everywhere for the, di- for the diary. In the end, I found it in a box in the garage. You, everything always ends up, doesn't it, in a box in the garage. So I found, the, I found the diary that was 19 years previous. I, I opened it and I found the, the right page. And as I read, um, my eyes just filled with tears. Here it is. Here's the diary entry. It says, had a dream last night about leading a man to Christ in a car park. And as we prayed, he was slain in the spirit. And my, wi- as my, and my wife watched on anxiously, dash, I think she was a doctor. You know, I was amazed. I mean, then, 19 years before, I was a bachelor, didn't know Tammy, and got married. As I said earlier, she's a, a GP, works as a GP in North Oxford. And because the, you know, I'd had, I'd had this as a prophetic dream. I dreamt it. The Lord had given me a prophetic dream 19 years before. My eyes filled with tears, of course, because I thought, Lord, you are sovereign. Lord, you are king. Lord, are, are, you, not, are you not good? It was just one of those, one of those uh, moments Whereas uh, I was rejoicing in the goodness and the sovereignty of God. We're coming, going to come into land, just mentioning this verse, Colossians 3 verses 1 to 3, which is one of the places that mention the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension um, coupled together. So Paul says this, if you have been raised with Christ, it's the resurrection, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's the ascension. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God we're quite familiar with the Pauline idea that in baptism we died and rose with Christ to new new life but according to Paul we also ascended with Christ so in some mysterious sense 
you and I, if we belong to Jesus Christ, our life is hidden with Christ in God. We are with Christ now, uh, seated in, in heavenly places. If we were to drink deep of this truth, how this would transfer, transform our own sense of security, our own sense of identity. So the resurrection and the ascension coupled together. Let's take this amazing truth into our lives this week. Seeking things uh, that are above, as Paul exhorts us to. Setting our minds on things that are, that are above. And thanking God that in his resurrection we have received new birth and hope. Um, we're a community of hope. And that through Christ's ascension we're reminded that God is king. Uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got us in his hands, those of, tr- who have tr- those of us who have trusted him. And it, he, his ascension made it possible for us to be filled with power from on high. Let's just pray together. So Father, we thank you for these amazing truths. Lord, we thank you, Lord. It's not just abstract theology. Um, sometimes we can rattle off the creed as, as, and not think about what it means. But thank you for this amazing truth lord jesus that through your resurrection you made it possible for each one of us here to be born again through your resurrection you caused each one of us to be a person of hope and fill us now with your hope that's our prayer come holy spirit fill us with hope those of us who are struggling this morning perhaps with despair uh, struggling with hopelessness in different ways lord by your holy spirit infuse our lives with the glorious hope of christ we pray thank you that you live in us lord jesus that you are the hope of glory Uh, Give us a a fresh infusion of your heavenly hope. Each one of us this morning we pray. And thank you Jesus that through your ascension we're reminded that you are king. That you order our steps aright. Lord just like for me having that prophetic dream 19 years before Lord. That uh, you have got us in the palm of your hands. Those of us who've given our lives to you. You are sovereign. You are king. You are in charge. And we bow to your kingship Lord Jesus. And thank you, the, the ascension made it possible as well, Jesus, for, us, for you to give us your spirit. And thank, thank you that your Holy Spirit lives in us. So fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit today. That's our prayer. Come, Spirit of God, fill us afresh. Fill us to overflowing, we pray. Come with your power. Come with your presence, we pray. That we might live lives of reckless abandonment to you, Lord Jesus Christ. That we might be transformed by your presence. And Lord, we might point others to you, that they, others might have life in your name. And we pray it uh, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.